the Flat Out Strange from the other side of cinema. I am Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And today we are going to continue our series, Before Middle Earth, the early films of Peter Jackson. We have previously looked at his first three films, the early, early films. But today we're going to start looking at his late early films, starting with... Heavenly Creatures. They were two young girls living in a world of imagination. I'm going to the fourth world. It's an absolute paradise of music, art, and pure enjoyment. What they had was friendship. What a disgrace you are. Your mother is rather a miserable woman. What they needed was freedom. Do you like your mother? No. What they shared was a secret. Your daughter's been behaving in a rather disturbed manner. What's she done? I think I'm going crazy. I'm sure it's perfectly innocent. The crime that shocked the nation. People die every day. Only the best people fight against all obstacles in pursuit of happiness. All thought it up. Aren't you clever? We're not going to be separated. I hate you! She's uncontrollable. Based on a true story. It's all frightfully romantic. Heavenly Creatures. So here we go. So Heavenly Creatures is Peter Jackson's 1994 film, his follow-up to Dead Alive, or Brain Dead, which features the story of Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume. Juliet transfers to Polly's school, they develop an extremely close friendship, and eventually uh, it leads them down a dark road when they create this fantasy world for themselves, um, and things kind of go a little bit crazy. Uh, Heavenly Creatures is actually based on a true story that took place in a town called Christchurch in the 1950s, um, it was a real departure for Peter Jackson. Uh, his, his first three films, as we saw, uh, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and Dead Alive were all these splatter horror kind of films, uh, very crazy all over the place, whereas Heavenly Creatures is kind of a more refined, traditional, dramatic approach to his storytelling. Yes, definitely. As you said, it's, it's quite a departure uh, for Peter Jackson from his previous films, uh, you know, from even the one before this, Dead Alive, uh, from 92, I believe. Um, but you know, the story, there was something about it. I, I assume the story that this film is based on, you know, the true life, uh, friends that this is about, um, it did originate from New Zealand where Jackson is from. Um, so it certainly must have had something to do with, with why he took this on as his next project. Uh, like many, I'm sure Jackson must've been fascinated by this story, um, because it is inherently pretty, pretty interesting, I would say. Um, and his, his partner, Fran Walsh, um, who he's written with since Meet the Feebles, um, I looked into her, you know, her backstory a little bit. And apparently she, she was fascinated with this murder case since her childhood. So I'm sure that had a huge thing to do with it. Um, and I was watching some interviews with him, with Peter Jackson. He was saying, you know, he wanted to get beneath the headlines and basically tell a story about people, which is what this movie is um, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this film is, as compared to the films we discussed on our last episode, is with Jackson on this one, in his previous films, he kind of would create a world and, and stick to that world, and it was normally a, a kind of cartoonish, uh, fun, wild, over-the-top world. 
Whereas this, he we're really looking at the real world here. And even though the, the stylistically, the way he moves the cameras, you know, some of his POV shots, his wide angle lenses yeah. can create a little bit of a cartoonish effect. We're really looking at the at the, at the real world. But at the same time, these, these girls, uh, Juliet and Pauline, create this world for themselves, which we see some, A, you know, beautiful special effects work, which is a theme that runs throughout Jackson's work, um, but also just, the, you, know, you know, costume work, uh, different color schemes all over the place, very, very experimental and, and almost uh, touching upon some of the stuff he's done earlier. Um, and so Heavenly Creatures is notable for a few reasons other than just Peter Jackson that feel important to discuss. To discuss. The first is that it was the first major movie for... Uh, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start that over again because I just blanked on her name. Kate Winslet. Sorry. So it's notable to discuss for a few reasons outside of Peter Jackson. The first is that it was the first notable movie for Kate Winslet. Uh, before that, she had only been doing TV, and it also featured an early performance by Melanie Linsky, who didn't go on to become quite as major of an actress as Kate Winslet did, but is still a solid working actress. I actually just saw her recently in a Netflix original film. I believe it's a Netflix original called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, and she gave an excellent performance. Um, but it's also notable for the fact that it was the first time that a Peter Jackson film uh, got some Oscar nominations, um, which was a new thing for Jackson, having this type of critical success. Best original screenplay, I believe. Yes, best original yeah. screenplay. And this is obviously before Lord of the Rings, which basically uh, you know took over the Oscars <laughs> through the yeah. next few, year few years there. Um, so yeah, as you said, this movie is... A departure for Jackson in a lot of ways. It is the real world, which you know we didn't really see from him before. But it's still the world through Peter Jackson's eyes. Um, it's still very much Peter Jackson, which mm -hmm. you know I appreciated, especially coming from his earlier films, which are so bonkers, off the wall, you know, crazy. <laughs> it's good to see that some of that still kind of made its way through, even though it's much more serious uh, material that they're dealing with here. Yeah, you know, they deal with all kinds of huge topics like mental illness you know there's issues of homosexuality with the two girls um you know and a, a murder. rigid murder is a big one murder yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah which once again we will be discussing spoilers on this show if you're yes not yes. familiar with us it's still a little early here but there will be spoilers um yeah i think something that was really interesting about this film was just the fact that it was so beautiful dealing with such mm -hmm. dark subject matter um i found a, a, a review that owen gleberman um, wrote which he said set in the early 50s in the New Zealand village of Christchurch this ripe hallucination of a movie a rhapsody in purple has been photographed in sun-drenched candy colors that lends it to the real lends it to, to the surreal clarity of a dream there's something bracing about the way that heavenly creature serves up the, its heroine's fantasies with literal mind of brute force um, which is interesting to me even in that review I think that one thing that happens with this movie is it's so beautiful that it can get a little bit lost exactly how uh, daunting and horrific the subject matter is um which is i think that's something maybe jackson wanted to be careful with um mm -hmm. like you said in the interview he was talking about how he wanted to kind of make light about the situation and even though so, so basically the the real story is that these girls pauline parker and juliet Hume, uh formed a plan together uh juliet was supposed to be moving juliet who's from a very wealthy intellectual family was supposed to be moving to uh, South America, right? Or South Africa? South South Africa. South Africa, thank you. Um, she was supposed to be moving there, and Pauline wanted to move with her, but Pauline's mother said no, and these girls formulated a plan together and ended up beating Pauline's mother to death with a brick. Um, and brutally, brutally. 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 Brutal murder. 
Um, yes. At the end, but they were both, you know, they were both just schoolgirls. Um, and, but, you know, obviously the media kind of took hold of this and it became this big thing. So Jackson yeah. kind of wanted to bring their story to light and point out the fact that even though they did this horrific thing, they were just kids Yeah. at the time. It's, yeah, it's, the, the trial was really, like, sensational from what I read. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it was probably the biggest trial going on at the time. And, yeah, as Jackson said, he wanted to go go beyond that and really just tell a story about people. Um, and he really brings you into the, the world of these two girls when they actually have their own world. Um, it's, <laughs> I believe it's called the, the fourth world. Um, Bravnia. <laughs> in this fantasy life yep. that they live in. Um, there's, you know, they're both very idealistic. As you mentioned, they both come from different backgrounds. Um, Kate Winslet's character, Juliet Hume, um, she's more, like you said, like sort of like a posh, somewhat privileged young British girl. And Melanie Linsky, who plays Pauline Parker, she is a little more working class, you know, from, and she's from New Zealand. But they both, you know, they, they meet and they form this, this bond together and this, they, this, their own world, really. Yeah. And a really stunningly, stunningly photographed world. It has these these real like Rococo kind of influences, like you might see in a painting by and I'm gonna butcher this name, but like a Jean Honoré Fragonard or someone like that. These these 18th it's a century film, like you French said. painters, yeah, yeah beautiful. Um, and, and the, these Rococo influences, I think you could even see carry over. Uh, once again, a big thing with Jackson is it's. I feel like he more than maybe other filmmakers, you can really see a progression in his work. Uh, where certain influences crept in. So in this one, this this fourth world that they created has this beautiful Rococo look that is kind of similar to like a Rivendell or something like that that we would see later on in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, and for me, I think that the effect that that had is, um, so I'm a big Nabokov fan, and, and so it had a, the effect that almost like uh, Lolita had, where it was just so beautiful that you had to get through the beauty to see how ugly it really was at its core. You know, you had these, these sweeping, huge, beautiful shots, but you're, it's a, it's a, ultimately a murder story. Right. And besides character, I, I feel like this film is much about, you know, how that line between dreams and reality can become blurred and sometimes in truly tragic and horrific ways, as they show in this film, uh, because I feel like Jackson, the person, is a very idealistic dreamer, you know, just from interviews I've read and, and seen of him he just you know he seems like he has these ideas that he just wants to get out there and into the world and you know he, he's very much a type of person that makes his own world um, so I feel like this movie though it's based on a true subject is, is probably it was probably very personal for him in a way um, and it feels personal when you're watching it and he has a lot of respect for the idea of the dreamer in this yes. even though the dreamers themselves aren't necessarily of the highest moral character right. he has respect yeah. he he treats the characters with respect although i yeah you know on that note i was gonna say that this film it seems very sympathetic actually um mm-hmm. t- to the girls and but it also doesn't shy away from you know the more sadistic qualities of the two girls uh, he constantly alludes to how unstable they may actually be and how things will eventually take a, a sadistic turn there's a few examples I saw. Um, there's a photo of Orson Welles that mm-hmm. he kind of lingers on it being taken away on stream and kind of like an eerie moment. Um, and also when Pauline acts like there's a moment where she acts like she's dead and where Juliet really believes her. And it's kind of like this, this, you know, it's kind of scary moment there. Um, also the way they linger on Juliet's first meeting with Pauline's mother. 
Uh, this is just like these little things I noticed. I took note of that. That kind of they all kind of build up to to that ending. So I have a question for you, Mark. Would you consider this to be a violent film or no? No, I would not. Um, and I say that with you know a pretty solidness because I, I feel like that that last scene. I mean, we're going to talk about it, I'm sure, but I just feel like you know reading the the actual event, what befell this woman. It, the way he presented it, I feel like was actually very respectful, as you said, and it was done more artistically. But also the movie itself has a lot of flourishes and there's a lot of dreamlike qualities. But when it comes to that scene, that last moment that this movie culminates with, he really just kind of lets it play out. Um, it's very realistic in a way, but he doesn't show because the actual killing as we mentioned was very brutal uh, i believe she was i don't know the remember the exact number but the mother was bludgeoned uh many times with mm. with the brick in the sack I, I i could just say a number here like 45 times something like that something excessive lot. something it excessive. was very ex very excessive because yeah when that once they started and i was you know reading about this the, what how they actually described it the, the two girls like once they started it was like you know we have to finish this and they just kept going and going and you know while she was pleading and so it's it's extremely brutal it's very you know so the way he handled it the way jackson portrayed it in the film i feel like was was respectful i didn't feel like he went over the top i didn't feel like it was it was overly violent i feel like he showed just enough to to give you the idea no see it See, personally, I would I would consider this a violent film. I okay. might even go so far as to say that this was the most violent of the films we've seen so far. Not really? in the literal, okay. not in the literal sense where we're seeing the violence, but it, uh, the violent, the violence, it, it, it actually felt violent. You know, when you're when you're seeing something happening in a dead alive, or you know a. a you know, meet the feebles or bad taste. the The violence is is so cartoonish that you're watching it, and it, and it's 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 meant to be funny, of course. But you kind of forget that it is actually violent. And for me, the the implication of the violence here, just the fact that you feel the violence the whole time, mm -hmm. and it's kind of brooding. Then when it actually happens, it just felt like a very honest, real moment. Um, so even though even though there wasn't the scope of the violence, you know, it wasn't blood flying everywhere. It, it just it felt the most. Uh, realistic it hurt you know like, like when we get to that scene at the end even though you're not seeing what's happening necessarily for me personally like i really felt the violence in a way i hadn't with any of his other films to this point well there's also the scenes of the fantasy killings that mm -hmm. there, i think there's two or two of them there's a couple uh throughout the film they they imagine each of the characters imagines um someone that they're talking to that that they're not happy with being you know, basically killed yeah. uh, by a, a, one of their fictional characters that they've imagined in, in their mind. And those scenes, yeah, those scenes did stand out as a little more violent to me and, and harken back to his other films, his, his earlier ones. Uh, but yeah, as you said, I mean, that, that's a good point. You know, the, his films before this, uh, he even said it, actually, I, I was going to bring it up later, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, I watched an interview with Peter Jackson. He said, um, uh, in a documentary I was watching, it was a short documentary, but he just was talking about the film and the final scene in particular. And he was said it was the one scene in the movie none of us wanted to actually shoot. Mm. And he also said it's uh, it's not like the other films I've made. The blood and the gore is kind of funny. It's done for comedic effect, but in this film it's not. And I just shut my eyes every time I watch it. Yeah. So I think that kind of says it all about 
the violence in this film. You, and I wonder if it's if it has anything to do with the fact that this was based on a true story, or if it's just the way the film was presented. Like, I'm curious if he would have felt that way, or if he would have treated the scene the same way had it not been based on a true story. Because with a filmmaker like Jackson, who's not a, obviously not afraid to shy away from, you know, excessive blood and gore, I just I, I have to wonder if there's a certain respect that he's paying to the real person and the real families by not showing that final scene and if perhaps if it had just been a fiction if he would have taken it further or done it in a different way and, and if that would have been more successful or if it would have hurt it there's a there's a certain reverence with this film I, I agree I think mm-hmm. it's almost like he wanted to make sure he was very respectful to because the, the, you know the people involved are is still family members, you know, that are, that were alive, and obviously the two girls are are were st- actually are still alive, um, and he didn't even interview them or speak to them at all when he was making the film. He just wanted to, you know, make sure he was allowing them to have their privacy and all of that, yeah. which I thought was really respectful. Um, yeah. I'm curious if they've it, seen it, the film. Yeah, and, I'm really and how curious. That reaction well. would be. Yeah, yeah, I'm really yeah. curious about that. Um, because in in a way, I so I just read a, a a New York Magazine article. It just came out in the most recent issue about it's called like what it takes to win an Oscar, and it, it was basically talking about you know the direction things are going right now and how biopics. There was a big section about biopics, and in a way, this film Heavenly Creatures is it is a biopic. It's just you know it's not the big sweeping narrative like you might see like there's the you know uh, like uh, what's it what's it called Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman is coming out soon as we record this on the first day of December in 2017, um, that, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's about like a great person doing something big. And, and this, you know, this has more of that feel of, of you know, like, like it, the, the article I read talked about the ability of a biopic to change the way we perceive an individual mm-hmm. it, who's still alive or a historical figure who's no longer alive. And to me, this feels like a kind of dangerous biopic that is maybe treading on some new ground because it's kind of because we've had stories of serial serial killers before you know we've seen you know a Jeffrey Dahmer biopic or you know Ted Bundy or something like that but I don't know personally if I've ever seen a, a biopic where the main characters who do something atrocious are kids mm-hmm. um, so I, I just think moralistically this film treads on on different territory mm-hmm. and I think that's what's so compelling about it is just how young they are Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe why Jackson has so much sympathy for them or appears to have so much sympathy for them. Um, and he was a young man when he made this film, you know, he was yeah, in he his thirties. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I guess he could empathize with them. Um, but I did think, you know, you mentioned biopics. I, I think in this film, he did a good job of giving you a good idea of what the lives of each of these girls was like. And the actresses, I mean, this is their first film for each of them, the main actresses, and they did both did a fantastic job with the material. I thought, absolutely. um, uh, interesting to see how their friendship develops in the film and of course where it ultimately leads um and yeah i just thought that the two actresses did a great job and they really pull you in and they make you believe that they believe in the their fantasy world mm-hmm. and uh jackson Absolutely. did a great job conveying that feeling with the camera like you know the whole movie kind of has you alluded to this a little bit but it has like a dreamlike quality to it um, the way he melds the fantasy world with the main characters in the real world. Sometimes the cam- camera seems like it's almost floating through the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, yeah, and of, I, yeah. I think that that dreamlike feel also maybe contributes to how brutal the violence feels at the end as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah, when it, when it happens, right, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. It ha- it has so, almost uh like a have you have you seen the movie Sleepaway Camp, Mark? Of course. I have not you know? actually. You have not. So my, we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah. We we should talk about that one on another episode. Um but it, but it has a similar thing where you kind of drift through a dream and then at the end of the movie when you get something frightening or scary, it's all the more frightening and scary because you've kind of been lulled into the state through the whole thing. Dreamlike state. Yeah, it, it it's I liked it also because it relates to the two characters and how they idealize certain things like Hollywood. They talk about Hollywood a lot in this film, mm-hmm. like the idea of Hollywood, you know, and it's easy to imagine people getting caught up in a dream like that. Not unlike I'm sure Peter Jackson himself, you know, everyone has that mythic, fantasy, fantastical view of Hollywood in a way, you know, especially at a younger age. So I like how he wor- also worked that in that theme into the film, um, you know, with the way they idealized Hollywood and, and, you know, stars and things like that and how they, wanted to run away and you know make yep. their life and it's interesting um, if we look at what what happened in the in these women in the in the lives of these two girls um and the, the real people i'm talking about one of them pauline uh kind of dropped off the grid she wasn't really heard from yeah but uh juliet whom ended up being a mystery writer who goes by the name of ann perry who was very I'm, successful actually like incredibly she, mystery writer murder mystery writer um who and she actually she got nominated for an edgar award at some point which is a very prestigious you know like she she didn't just fall off which was just kind of interesting um to me that someone with that background uh could take that fantasy and turn it into something positive and i think that's maybe just a testament to the fact that jackson may have been onto something you know that these girls weren't just they, they weren't just what they the act they were known for there, there was something more going on. That's very interesting. And I, you know, the fact that they went away for, I believe it was five years, they went to prison. Um, at the time, they didn't know how long they were going to be in. I'm sure it felt like an eternity to them. But, mm-hmm. you know, getting out in five years for murder, uh, a brutal murder such as this, you still have some time to, you know, turn your life around and, and try to do something with your life. And I feel like she really took that to heart and, and did make something out of herself which is very interesting. Um, and this is somewhat of a, I guess there's no really right answer to this, but I did want to ask you, Jeremy, mm-hmm. uh, would you consider the friendship between the two girls, at least how it's presented in the film, would you consider it unhealthy? Would you like, do you, would you side with, with that view of things? Or do you think obviously taking out how it ultimately ended up like, do, you know, the way he yeah. presents the, the friendship, but how would you, how did you feel about it? I mean, I think you're on dicey territory with a question like that because on the one hand, you could say that, you know, children, because at this point, how old were they supposed to be in this film? Like 15 years old, 14 years old? Around there, 14, 15. 14, yes, 15. Like yeah, so they're yeah. basically children. You know, they're teenagers, but just hardly. Um, and, and I think that, you know, people that age should absolutely be allowed to dream and have fantasies and, and play, you know, in a creative, mm-hmm. fun way. But but I do think it's it's difficult because the lines can be blurred sometimes depending on who is in that position. Um, I mean, what this is kind of bringing to mind, which is obviously an equally dark real world event, is you look you look at the uh, the guys who did the Columbine shootings, and it was a similar situation almost where these two had this, uh, you know, they felt kind of alienated, like they were the only two who knew each other. And, I, and I'm making it clear, I'm in no way trying to humanize, you know, the people who did Columbine but it was a similar thing where they you know they loved movies they they loved art and they kind of used that as a thing to drive them behind their their malicious deeds and to justify it almost so I think that it can morally be an incredibly dangerous 
ground to tread on, but at the same time, I, th- I think in the right hands, obviously, you know, we probably wouldn't have Peter Jackson if we yeah. stifled, you know, a kid's ability to dream and fantasize. Right. Yeah, there is a, a bit of a moral ambiguity there. It's uh, We've all had friends who maybe, you know, you felt a kinship with as an outcast and maybe who you felt very close to. But obviously, in this case, things took a very dark turn, you know, once they lost touch completely with reality and they just confided in each other and didn't, you know, worry about anything else that obviously things went in a certain direction. So yeah, it's a very, it's controversial material. Uh, I think Jackson's take on it is somewhat controversial Mm -hmm. in a way because he is so sympathetic to them. Um, So, but it's, it's, I I think it's a great film. I, I really enjoyed it in in the context of, of what you're watching. It's, it's very different for, for Jackson. As we mentioned, uh, the the violence is not done in a com- comic way, really, at all. Uh, and it's just a very solid film with great performances. Um, and I did want to ask Jeremy, uh, what, you know, we, we talk about our, our moments that stood out to us, favorite favorite moments we have. Was there anything in particular that's, that stood out to you about this film? Well, obviously, like we've discussed already, that final scene, just the way it was done with such tact, was really interesting to me. Um, but also a thing that, that I found interesting was the, the army figures is the representation because just visually, I thought that those were stunning, you know, the plastic figurines that kind of turned in in this yeah. fantasy world that they were seeing, um, which is interesting. interesting. I, I, I don't know if I read an interview or if I, I, I watched it, but at some point uh, what they were saying is that someone who knew uh, Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume in that time had gone into one of their rooms and saw all these figures. Um, and originally they were just supposed to be people in the movie, but somehow that got to Jackson that they had all these little army figures and, you know, he just turned it into this just absolutely stunning visual thing. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Do you have any specific moments? I actually wrote down a, uh, a lot of moments because uh, there's a lot with the camera work and the performances that really stood out to me. The opening I thought was very effective uh, it shows stock or newsreel footage of the town that they live in. And then they have the sounds of the screams from the two girls come in mm-hmm. and shatter that ideal setting. Um, and it's the screams from the end of the film, which you don't know in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really effective way to open the film and kind of bring you into everything. Um, I also found it very interesting that they used Pauline's actual di- diary entries uh, mm-hmm. verbatim in the film. So that from... Uh, oh, were they really... A, yeah, they were actually her her actual diary entries, so I oh, thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, also, I just noticed there was a great use of montages in the film. Mm-hmm. There's a real energy to each each of them, and the way he used snapshots, and you know, he used different techniques. He was pretty creative with the montages. I thought in this film. Yeah, and I think that this this was a major work as well, uh, obviously for Jackson, but in terms of bringing him into the Hollywood community, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, because because I think Dead Alive had its cult following, but I think I, I think as as much as you know, it's easy to say oh, it's all subjective and political. Getting this Oscar nomination really opened Peter Jackson up to a a new world of filmmaking. Um, it gave him a lot of a lot of clout. That's for sure. Exactly. He, uh, people took notice of him after this. You know, um, and also just another uh, trivia thing I wanted to mention. I because I, I, I recently watched Zodiac again. The mm-hmm. David Fincher film. Yeah. And I, I really like that film a lot. And Great film. something that David Fincher, David Fincher was very obsessive with the details in that film and how he recreated certain events and things like that. And much like that film, th- this film, Heavenly Creatures, 
almost all of the locations used for filming were the genuine locations where the actual events occurred. Yeah. So even the tea shop at the end where the mother ate her last meal before she was knocked down. Yeah. That, that was actually where they shot it. Ah, That's unbelievable. That setting or that location was actually uh, knocked down after, I think it was a few days after they shot that scene. Wow. So that's interesting just from a completely objective standpoint, just, how they recreated things and shot them in the actual locations and things like that. So yeah. I found that pretty interesting. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's lots, lots to dig into with this film. We're, we're probably going to stop there just because yeah. we go on yeah, for another, 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 half another hour. film to get to. <laughs> yeah. Another film to get to, but, um, essential, essential thing, viewing, I think heavenly creatures. Essential viewing. Yeah. Essential I, viewing. I, I would say it's even objectively, probably the best. Well, my, my favorite, of his films so maybe not objectively but yeah probably my, my favorite it's it's uh, of his early films or of his films period well you uh you know actually all in all i oddly enough i think meet the feebles is my favorite yeah. just from a pure entertainment standpoint mm-hmm. uh it's a very fun movie and lots of all the debauchery going on but um this film i mean as far as like a well-made film uh mm-hmm. the way it's written and acted and directed i, I would say this is probably yeah for me the best one but uh, so i did look into it a lot and just to kind of end on this film um i you know i like to mention when i watch certain behind the scenes or things or documentaries or interviews i like to mention them here because i want people to check them out if they have the time um i actually went down i mentioned this to you before we recorded but i went down a bit of a a youtube hole (laughs) with this film um because once I started looking things up about the, you know, not not only the film, but the real life murder case and everything, you, you kind of you can find all kinds of, of things to get into. But just to focus on Jackson and the film itself, um, I saw an interview with Peter Jackson from that was around the time when the film came out. And I thought it was interesting because he talks about his previous Splattergore comedies and relates them to his new film and this new direction that he's taking and I think it's you know especially if if you've listened to the last episode and you're wondering how how do you know how do those how do you get from those films to this I think watching that interview will give you a little more insight into that and mm-hmm. we'll put a link in the description for this episode and there's also um, some interesting facts in that interview about the case and the trial and and his viewpoint on it which I think is like I said it's a little controversial actually the way his the standpoint that he takes on it. Um, but it's worth checking out. And there was also a behind the scenes documentary, which was very short, but it was pretty good. It was uh, pretty comprehensive for, for being so short. It's from 1994. Mm. And that's where I got the quote from where he talks, uh, Peter Jackson talks about the final scene in the movie. And that's worth checking out. We'll put a link to that as well. Absolutely. All right. That is going to do it today for us here at cult movie cult. Please join us again next time where we will be concluding our series on Peter Jackson before Middle Earth, the early films of Peter Jackson, where we look at our last late early film before Lord of the Rings, um, and that film is The Frighteners. So come back and hear us talk about that. And please check us out on iTunes, Instagram, and Facebook, various other forms of social media. You've been listening to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. See you again next time on The Other Side.